I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Sure, we tell ghost stories around the campfire, but that don't make them true. It's high noon for Thursday, September 30th, 2021. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator or join the discussion thread at t.me slash I'm reasonable. You can also find me on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct to shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. Today is the 253rd day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the most corrupt families in American history, and the father of one of the most despicable sons to ever walk the earth. That's Hunter Biden. So congratulations, commies. You brag and brag about your adult understanding of adult stories about adult issues. And you have not ever considered that your foundational stories might be all wrong. It's like you still believe in Santa Claus and base everything off that. It's like you believe that there are monsters under your bed because someone on the television says so. How many of these unquestioned immature beliefs are still guiding the Democrat Communist Party right now? And I would say a whole lot of them. And by the Democrat Communist Party, of course, I mean the global communist movement and all of its supporters, including all the Romneys out there, the Republican communists. Yes, they are included. It's all the same thing. I'll refer to it in different ways, but I'm not just picking on Democrats, although I am picking on you if you voted for Joe Biden. And if you don't like being picked on, well, all you have to do is migrate back to America. Just get rid of all the stupid and evil communist ideas and come on back. The range is wide open. There's space for you. All of us want you here to progress on this American project together with a mutual respect for one another's individuality and liberty and freedom and autonomy, the ability to pursue your own goals. We all want that stuff. And we want you to join in wanting that stuff. All you have to do is make amends with all of the people that you were terrible to. All of those people you bullied and shamed and ostracized, all the people you tried to get fired. Go around, make some sincere apologies, say, hey, I was brainwashed back then. I was misled. It is my fault and I am sorry, but I don't think of myself that way. I don't wish to be that person. I hope you'll forgive me. It's so simple. It's so simple, commies. And then all you have to do it's just come on back, migrate back to America. And with that, I would love to extend a warm Thursday high noon welcome to all of the redeemable communists out there. Hello, commies! I don't know how you found the show. I'm happy you did. Hopefully one of your very responsible adult friends who doesn't normally engage in uh, childlike reimaginings of extremely important life or death issues those kinds of friends are always good to have. They could have led you to my show, and I hope they did. And I hope that you have the fortitude to stick around for an hour while I mock and ridicule some of your most deeply held ideas. And by the end of that, I hope you realize that your deeply held ideas are not at all deeply held. That's one of the real critical things to realize, commies. We can all get back on the same page as soon as you realize that you do not have any deeply held beliefs. And you might think, hey, it's not fair for you to say that. You don't even know my beliefs. Well, 
if you voted for Joe Biden, it's impossible to have deeply held beliefs. Well, either that or you have no connection to reality or you don't act on principle. Those are your options. Pick one. You can call me wrong if I got it wrong. Maybe you have one of those other options. Let's talk about the fact, though, that you have no deeply held principles. They are all based on nothing. If you are pressed to tell someone, hey, why do you believe this thing? Why are you telling me that this is one of your deeply held beliefs? You'll find you can't explain it at all. You will make appeals to how good of a person you are and how bad the people who disagree with you are. But that's not going to convince anybody, not adults, at least. It will convince children because they will think, oh, my God, somebody might not like me. I better not say the thing that I know to be true. Not in this room, not with these people, because you've all agreed to lie to one another all the time. You don't ever want the imaginary story to go away. You got to live in the fantasy world and you all agree to do it. Take 10 Joe Biden voters, put them in a room together. Each and every one of them will know that it's not going to be okay to talk about how masks don't work. Someone believes it. Probably at least five or six people understand that masks don't work. And they're wearing them anyway because everybody has agreed that we should all lie about this thing to each other. To the closest people in our lives, it's necessary that we lie about whether or not masks work to prevent viral spread. There's an entire history of science that says that they don't, but we have all agreed to lie about this thing. Likewise, you get 10 Biden voters in a room and six or seven of them will probably understand that Joe Biden didn't actually win the election in 2020. But none of them will say it. And if anyone even hints that they're thinking about that, well, what are you trying to start a war in that room? Flirting with a battle royale, a fight to the finish? could get deadly in there. Just liberals massacring one another as if the CIA set them up the entire time. As if all 10 Biden voters were all FBI informants. And, you know, truthfully, I don't know how many Biden voters there were. Not that many. It's possible just by the numbers that they could all actually be FBI informants. It's worth thinking about. <laughs> I'm talking about this because the Trump story in the minds of Biden voters is 100 percent wrong, and it is 100 percent wrong for very interesting reasons. OK, and there are kind of spiritual and emotional reasons behind the more practical reasons. The more practical reasons are all derived from a few specific narratives that the media developed and pressed over and over and over and over and over again for a really long time. And for most intelligent people, most people with full-size adult brains, those narratives have all collapsed. You know, for black and brown Americans, those communities have started to realize that Donald Trump isn't actually some white supremacist race devil who's trying to kill them. Hispanics along the southern border of Texas, Biden's got like a 30% approval rating with them. Why? Do you think that they still think good things about the Democrat Party, seeing what's happening to their communities as the Democrats open the borders to literally whoever wants to come in? Whoever is willing to pay the cartel is allowed to come into the country. It's almost like the Biden administration, the fake president and his allies have some kind of deal set up with their NGOs and with the cartel to allow all these people to be human trafficked into the United States of America. It's almost like that. Those Hispanic people along the southern border of Texas have realized that. Likewise, black voters all over the country whose votes are stolen more than anyone else have started to realize that the Democrat Party doesn't give two shits about them either. 
despite all of the, you know, communist organizing through Black Lives Matter and Antifa and all their organizations, all their lies and race baiting. People don't still fall for that. We are told that they fall for that because otherwise the numbers that Democrats need to show the public that they actually did win elections, those numbers would not be possible. They need a narrative to support the fact that they win elections. So they choose to say that black voters love them the most. And of course, the Democrats would go directly to that. They are the party of the KKK. They are the party of Jim Crow. So why wouldn't they exploit minorities and pretend to speak for the needs of minorities and steal the votes of minorities while doing nothing for minorities in a provable way, by the way, it's not an accident that the places the Democrats hold the most power are all of the worst, most downtrodden communities in the country. And that goes for black and white and Hispanic and whoever else. It's not just urban environments. There's a lot of Democrat power in poor, downtrodden, rural environments as well. But that narrative collapsed. Minority voters in America no longer believe that Donald Trump is some white supremacist race devil who's trying to exterminate them because that is an utterly absurd belief. And the only reason anyone ever bought into it is because the media lied about it, right? Remember both sides, they're very fine people on both sides. We all remember that they're not bringing their best. They're bringing uh, rapists and murderers, right? We all remember that for years, years, the media rode that out claiming that Donald Trump is racist, agreeing with Donald Trump is racist, voting for Donald Trump is racist, voting with Donald Trump if you're in Congress is racist. Anything at all to do with Donald Trump is racist, right? The MAGA hat is the new Klan hood. We are told that by people who were mentored by Klansmen, right? Joe Biden was mentored by Robert Byrd, mentored by Robert Byrd in politics for decades, gave the eulogy at Robert Byrd's funeral. But yet the MAGA hat is just like a Klan hood, according to people mentored by Klansmen. And we think that's okay. We go along with it. The media tells us that's the monster under the bed. And we're like, oh, God, <laughs> that's so scary. What happens if someone associates me with the monster under the bed just because it's my bed? <laughs> As if you put the monster there. <laughs> Sorry, children. That's what they have gone with for all this time. And of course, Donald Trump is trying to make money in office, right? Remember how many stories we got about this business or that business, the emoluments clause, all of that nonsense. They tried to make it like Donald Trump was serving, was first of all, running for president to make money and then serving as president to make money. Now, Turns out Donald Trump actually lost about $2 billion while in office. At least that's what the reports say. Who knows? But it's pretty clear at this point that his presidency was not a money-making venture. The media and his political opponents did everything they could to tarnish the Trump name and destroy the Trump brand. And to a certain segment of Americans, they were successful and probably still are. There are plenty of Americans who understand that something about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the fake administration, their illegitimacy, the lies about the coronavirus and the border and Afghanistan and everything else, that this man is clearly not fit to lead the country. But still, they recoil at the idea of Donald Trump because they still believe that all these little monsters are under their bed. They haven't actually tried to figure out whether or not their beliefs about who Donald Trump is are true, whether or not they map onto reality. 
whether or not they reflect anything objective about the real world. And the truth is they don't even have the knowledge to explain their own beliefs at all. They just hate Donald Trump as an avatar. And what else was there? Donald Trump is an egomaniac. He is a power hungry egomaniac. That's what everybody says about Donald Trump. He just wants to put his name on everything. Okay. You mean like a businessman who is involved in the business of creating a brand like that? That's like getting mad that McDonald's puts the arches on their cups. That's what you're supposed to do. Does it seem logical that Donald Trump would have done all of this for his ego? If he was, why wouldn't he have taken advantage of all the many opportunities to join the Uniparty, get paid, have people be nice to him, and then lead us all into our our own ruin? He could have been remembered as a great uniter if only he had chosen to try to unite people around the cause of the Uniparty and the cause of global communism. You think they wouldn't have allowed him to get back into the little circle or to enter it for the first time, perhaps? Of course they would have. Of course they would have. But still, all of these Biden voters, they still believe Trump is an egomaniac. So he sacrificed money, sacrificed business opportunities, sacrificed the time, obviously, the six years plus that he has now been in the political arena. He sacrificed a portion of his public reputation. People weren't saying all these awful things about Donald Trump 10 years ago, or maybe 10 years ago. Some of them were because he was talking about uh, Barack Hussein Obama's birth certificate. But Donald Trump has lived most of his life as a widely loved and admired American figure, a larger than life figure. But yet many Americans continue to hate him because they were told to hate him. Now, one of the narratives that got more play than any other anti-Trump narrative was the narrative that he was colluding with Russia throughout his campaign. Russia got Donald Trump elected. Russia committed election fraud. Russia changed the votes somehow, changed them in the system, which, you know, can't happen anymore. It could only happen in 2016. And Democrats knew it. There's a documentary on HBO called Kill Chain, where many prominent Democrats talk about how votes can be flipped and changed in the machines that are definitely connected to the internet. And you could just go watch that if you wanted, if you found the Trump side of things unconvincing. But Donald Trump was an illegitimate president because he had colluded with Russia and Vladimir Putin wanted Donald Trump to be president. That is what we were told. Hillary Clinton kept going with that for years. And we had to believe that. And how did all that start? Isn't it strange that Donald Trump was just a businessman for his whole life? And then all of a sudden, as soon as he came down that escalator in 2015, boom, colluding with Russia, Donald Trump made all the connections he needed to so that he could collude with Russia and steal the American election like no one has ever done before. No one has ever committed election fraud besides Donald Trump, who worked with Russia. Oh, wait, other people have committed election fraud. OK, but it's very rare. Oh, it's not. OK. Donald Trump was said to have colluded with Russia. Because of people. From the Clinton campaign, and that's what we're finding out. Michael Sussman was indicted, I think, t- two weeks ago now. And that is the first step 
in an unraveling conspiracy, a legitimate conspiracy. You know what a conspiracy is? It's people conspiring. They planned to do something. There were many moving parts and all of the people had roles and they performed those roles. Did they perform them well? Well, not well enough not to get caught, not well enough to have their little ruse work and keep Donald Trump out of office. But it did distract Donald Trump from his job as president enough. It distracted the country enough. It made it so that no one would actually pay attention to the important things, myself included, for the first couple of years. But it was all fake. It was all false. It was all made up. All of this stems from the entirely fake Steele dossier that was created at the behest of the Clinton campaign and Perkins Coie and Fusion GPS. And as the fake news entered the public conversation, the FBI used that fake news to spy on Donald Trump's campaign. And I'm simplifying. I'm oversimplifying, perhaps. But today, we get the office of the Inspector General, Michael Horowitz, putting out a report about FISA abuse within the FBI. Okay? FISA is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Okay? And the FISA court is Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, FISC. All right? Those warrants were used to spy on President Trump's campaign, all right? The warrant would be taken out against a figure that they could say to the court, this person was involved in XYZ. The warrant goes out so that the spying can be done on that figure. And then they are also allowed to spy on all the communications of everyone that person talks to. And then everyone, all of those people talk to. And then they can take one other hop and surveil all the people those people have talked to as well. Here's how the Washington Post described it years ago. When analysts think that they have cause to suspect an individual, they will look at everyone that person has contacted, called the first hop away from the target. Then, in a series of exponential ripples, they look at everyone all those secondary people communicated with. And from that pool, they look at everyone those tertiary people contacted. This is called a second and third hop. So, all the FBI would need to do, and the CIA, of course, you know, the whole thing, Clinton campaign, everybody, just all of the terrible people who have been involved in this slow-moving coup, all of them, right? All they would have to do is get a FISA warrant on someone in a close enough position to the campaign that they could essentially spy on the entire campaign and do so in a, you know, quote unquote, legal manner, right? So they go after people like Carter Page, and that opens up a whole world of spying. And every time they want to expand that, every time they want to get a new FISA warrant and be able to do more of this, they have to go back to the FISA court and get approval. And the FISA court is supposed to tr be able to trust that the information they are receiving from the law enforcement agencies is true and accurate because the people at the law enforcement agencies are supposed to have some sort of integrity when they sign their name to something. But what happens if those sorts of people don't have any integrity or they have convinced themselves that their dishonesty is serving a higher purpose? That's what we have a lot of in this country. Everyone is free to bend their principles when there's a good enough reason to. And good enough reason is as simple as your own personal preference, so long as you're able to dramatize it enough. And of course, that's exactly what happens and exactly what happened. All right, so let's 
take a look at what's come out today. This is uh, Technofog. Technofog is awesome. No one knows who Technofog is. I don't know if Technofog is one person or multiple people. That's how it is now. Okay, so this is Technofog. I.G. Horowitz discovers more FBI abuses of FISA process. This is today. And this is on his Substack, technofog.substack.com. Today, DOJ Inspector General Michael Horowitz issued a damning new report on the FBI's execution of its Woods procedures for applications filed with Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court relating to U.S. persons, and it's damning for the FBI. Before we get to the Inspector General's findings, a bit of background is important. The FISA court is a secret court where the government is present, but the accused is not. As I.G. Horowitz explains, quote, unlike the use of other intrusive investigative techniques, such as wiretaps under Title III and traditional criminal search warrants that are granted in ex parte hearings, but can potentially be subject to later court challenge, FISA orders generally have not been subject to scrutiny through subsequent adversarial proceedings. OK, you got that? Because this is an ex parte hearing, the DOJ and FBI have heightened duties of candor. According to the FISA court's local rules, the government is to disclose all material facts and correct any misstatements of material facts. And ex parte here means that one side is heard from. OK, so when the FBI goes to these courts, the FBI is representing what it's saying as true and proper and based on evidence in the real world. And the court assumes that they are holding themselves to the proper standard, right? Because we believe in a system of laws in this country. We don't think it's okay that people's right to privacy is violated. We don't want a situation where the government can just scan all of your phone calls, although we basically find ourselves there anyhow. Back to Technofog, he inserts uh, the FISA court's local rules, the part that he's referring to here, Rule 13, correction of misstatement or omission, disclosure of noncompliance, Section A, correction of material facts. If the government discovers that a submission to the court contained a misstatement or omission of material fact, the government in writing must immediately inform the judge to whom the submission was made of. One, the misstatement or omission. Two, any necessary correction. Three, the facts and circumstances relevant to the misstatement or omission. Four, any modifications the government has made or proposes to make in how it will implement any authority or approval granted by the court. And five, how the government proposes to dispose of or treat any information obtained as a result of the misstatement or omission. Okay, that means the FBI has a responsibility when it realizes it has presented false information to the court to immediately notify the court and then get rid of any information that they gained based on the warrant that was achieved through giving the court false information. Section B. Disclosure of noncompliance. If the government discovers that any authority or approval granted by the court has been implemented in a manner that did not comply with the court's authorization or approval or with applicable law, the government in writing must immediately inform the judge to whom the submission was made of one, the noncompliance two, the facts and circumstances relevant to the noncompliance three. Any modifications the government has made or proposes to make in how it will implement any authority or approval granted by the court and for how the government proposes to dispose of or treat any information obtained as a result of the noncompliance. So when the FBI learned, for example, that the Steele dossier was compiled by someone on the payroll of organizations connected to the Clinton campaign. They should go ahead and tell the court that or when they realize that the person who compiled the dossier was actually already known to be a foreign intelligence agent. They are supposed to tell the court that that's how the process works, right? They put all these processes in place so that the American public 
can have some sort of accountability from their government and know that the government is not allowed to actually spy on them. There is a process put in place to hold people to a system of rules and laws that protects the American citizen. That's what this is there for. If the FBI decides that their needs are more important than the needs of the American citizen, they're more important than the American Constitution, well, then we can have breakdowns in the system that compromise the American people. And that's exactly, of course, what happened. This latest audit by I.G. Horowitz focused on the FBI's compliance with the Woods procedures. For background, he provides this easy summary on how the process works. And he provides figure one here. Summary of the FBI's process to prepare FISA applications and the required steps of the Woods procedures. And you going to Technofog Substack is going to explain that graphic he has much better than I can do. But it basically just outlines the necessary steps that need to be taken to go to the FISA court. I.G. Horowitz's latest audit reviewed 29 sampled FISA applications. He found that, quote, the FBI was not meeting the expectations of its own protocols, end quote. As he reported in March 2020, quote, we identified numerous instances of noncompliance with the Woods procedures in the 25 Woods files that were made available to us to review. And we reported that the FBI was unable to produce the original version of the remaining four Woods files we requested, end quote. More damning are the latest discoveries after an audit of more FISA applications. These include... This is from the inspector general's report that came out today, quote, over 400 instances of noncompliance with the Woods procedures in connection with those 29 FISA applications, end quote, and quote, over 7000 FISA applications authorized between January 2015 and March 2020. There were at least 179 instances in which the Woods file required by FBI policy was missing in whole or in part. And then Technofog has this in figure two. FBI's noncompliance with the Woods procedures, 209 errors in FISA applications. The department informed the FISA court about 209 instances of unsupported, inaccurate or omitted information associated with our sample of 29 FISA applications. Okay, that's like seven serious mistakes per application on average instances of unsupported, inaccurate or omitted information. Okay, the OIG identified an additional 209 instances within our sample of 29 FISA applications where the Woods file did not contain adequate documentation to support statements in the FISA application as required by FBI policy. The FBI and NSDOI told the OIG that for each of these instances, appropriate supporting documentation was later located in other holdings. As reported in our March 2020 MAM, the OIG identified four instances of missing original Woods files from our sample of 29 FISA applications reviewed based on the FBI's physical inventory of Woods files following our March 2020 MAM, we subsequently identified at least an additional 179 instances where the Woods files associated with the universe of FBI FISA applications from January 2015 to March 2020 were missing in whole or in part. MAM here, by the way, is Management Advisory Memorandum. Back to techno fog. The more material errors, aside from losing their own files, included failing to include context to inform the reader of the application that certain remarks the target made about a particular organization were made, according to evidentiary support, to provoke a response from law enforcement personnel. Instead, the application simply stated that the target expressed support of the referenced organization, describing the target's support for a specific group where the evidence in the Woods file instead indicated the target supported a specific cause. Describing that the target used a financial account as of a certain date, NSDOI stated that it was not evident 
from the supporting documentation how recently the government had confirmed the target's use of the financial account and certain evidence on the target's use of the financial account was several years prior to the date included in the application. Again, that sounds like a specific and obvious lie. Okay, that's my own commentary, not Technofox. And finally, failing to include the required reliability statement for one of two CHSs refer uh, referenced in the application. All of this comes after FBI promises to correct FISA accuracy in December 2019. After I.G. Horowitz detailed substantial issues with the Carter Page FISA applications, the FISA court noted that the misconduct was serious and ordered the FBI to conduct remedial measures to fix the problems of the FBI's own creation. One can't help but speculate that the FISA court won't do much about these latest issues aside from ordering the FBI to conduct more training. After all, the then presiding judge of the FISA court, Judge Boesberg, refused jail time for FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith after he altered an email and lied about Carter Page's relationship with the CIA. Knowing the history of the FISA court excusing government misconduct, we present the same question now that we did after the Kleinsmith sentencing. What does it say about the FISA court's, quote, heightened duty of candor, end quote, if there aren't heightened punishments for violating that duty? Now we have a new question. How could FBI Director Ray allow these abuses to continue? And that's an excellent question. All of this speaks directly to deep and widespread corruption in our law enforcement agencies, in the courts, and in our system as a whole. Okay? All of this says that to this point, and let me be very clear. I mean, to this point, okay, not forever, to this point, if John Durham finishes all his work and everything in this cycle ends without any of this stuff being exposed and punished and people being held accountable, then fine, I will use more permanent terms. But right now, I mean, to this point, but all of this says that if you have enough power and enough connections, and if enough people are corrupt, then you can do whatever you want. You can spy on American citizens at will, even if they are your political opponents. You can try to figure out ways to destroy them. And you can recruit all of the lower level hacks and flunkies you need to carry out these plans and know that no one is going to be punished which allows more hacks and more flunkies and more low-level people to simply take payoffs and do what they're told. And we have this all across our society. If you look at it with the election fraud, same kind of stuff. You just tell people to turn a blind eye. You just tell people that they did everything fine. Just know that you did everything fine. Let us know if anybody comes asking. Just deny all warrants. Deny any requests for information. You got legal court subpoenas? Well, deny those two. Whatever it takes, we're going to delay. We're going to abuse the court system. We're going to make it so that none of our crimes can ever be punished. That's what we have going on here. That's what this is proof of. And of course, all of this went toward tearing down Donald Trump's image in the eyes of a public. They want to make him so toxic that no one will ever vote for him. All right. And everybody has different reasons why they do stuff. Some people get freaked out and actually believe that Donald Trump is a racist and they are so not racist that they will vote for someone who's mentored by a Klansman to solve racism because they don't want to vote for the racist. Anybody else might realize, oh, you voted for Donald Trump. That's the racist. You voted for a racist. That means you're racist. These people are so, so insecure about their own personal goodness, right? The justice internally by which they lead their lives. They're so concerned that someone might call them racist and they can't actually disprove otherwise through their actions and their intentions and the things they say that they would rather vote for a Klansman than consider that someone might call them racist and they might have to just say, 
Oh, well, that's really stupid. You're calling me racist? All right. I guess you're a sociopath. That's it. It's done. Okay. You don't have to be scared of people's words. If you know you're a good person, if you're not a good person, well, then that might give everyone else a signal as to why you are so scared of what other people are saying about you. But this is one of the many narratives. People have the different narratives. Some people think he's a racist. Some people think that he's an egomaniac. Some people think he's trying to profit. And a whole lot of people think Donald Trump actually did all the things he's accused of doing, even though there is no evidence of him doing any of those things. And there is overwhelming evidence that all of that stuff was fake from the get go, was a crime from the get go by the other side that Donald Trump is actually the victim of a crime. And they don't care because that narrative, this narrative that Donald Trump is actually corrupt and evil suits them. This is what they want to believe. And no amount of evidence to the contrary will ever lead them to a different conclusion. These people believe the monster is under their bed because the person on television told them a long time ago. And honestly, the truth is that Donald Trump is an avatar for his supporters. Okay. We, we give the communists credit in thinking that they only hate Donald Trump. That's not true. Okay. I don't know how many of these people, you know, but they hate us. All right. Donald Trump is an avatar for us. They hate us. They know it's societally acceptable to say that they hate Donald Trump. So they say they hate Donald Trump, but the truth is they hate us and the more honest ones the ones who actually feel that they are so comfortable and so powerful and so secure in their position that they can actually be fully honest. The Sophia Bushes of the world calling people domestic terrorists, all these sociopath bloggers on leftist blogs saying how they want the unvaccinated to die, that they don't deserve health care. Those people, they'll admit that they actually do hate us. And more and more of that side of things is getting to that level of cockiness where they actually allow their true evil to be shown, thinking that no one will ever call them on. They can just get away with being that evil. In fact, they're rewarded for it. This is one of the the pillars that are still holding these people up. They survive on these very few narratives about who Donald Trump is. Because if they can keep saying those things, they can get away with all of the things that they actually think about us. But this is yet another narrative of theirs that is collapsing. This pillar is crumbling for them. And you, in your conversations with these people, have to help it crumble for them. All right? You know, I'll talk to people who are in my life and I hope will eventually become redeemable communists. Now they're just communists, but you know, they will say that they actually still believe that Donald Trump colluded with Russia or that the election was somehow not the 2016 election was somehow not a representation of the will of the people. And you can challenge them on that and they'll be like, yeah, but uh, Cambridge Analytica and it's like a, Uh, Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I didn't think people were still trying that, but go ahead and tell me what you know about Cambridge Analytica. And they'll be like, ah, data manipulation. Okay. That it or what? Oh, I just, I really just don't like Donald Trump. Oh, okay. So the most important political need in your life is to express your emotional opinion about a stranger. Got it. That's the most important political issue facing Joe Biden voters is that they have a negative emotional reaction. 
derived from propaganda on the television. And so they subject the country and the world to what we're seeing now. This is what they did with their eyes open in full consciousness. This is what emerged from their child brains. Got it? That is not adult thinking. It just isn't. And there's actually a second step on this issue today, which is kind of nice. Big news day on the John Durham subject line, right? There's probably, I mean, who knows how many narratives. There are the big ones. There's COVID. There's this. There's the election fraud. There's Hunter Biden's laptop. There's Joe Biden's corruption. There's military corruption. I mean, there's a lot of them. But the John Durham stuff is right up there. Top five for sure. So to get two big chunks of news in one day, it's pretty nice. So this article is from CNN and Evan Perez. He's kind of a tool. I don't know who this Caitlin Polance character is, but here's the headline. Durham issues fresh round of subpoenas in his continuing probe of FBI investigation into Trump, Russia. Okay. Special counsel John Durham has issued a new set of subpoenas, including to a law firm with close ties to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, an indication that Durham could be trying to build a broader criminal case, according to people briefed on the matter. So far, Durham's two year probe into the FBI's Russia investigation hasn't brought about the cases Republicans had hoped it would. It says has, but it's CNN. So, of course, the most trusted name in news does not uh, proofread. But again, look at the narrative here, right? So far, Durham's probe hasn't brought the cases Republicans hoped it would. That's how they're setting this up. Like it's just this, this impotent project that's never going anywhere. The grand jury subpoenas for documents came earlier this month after Durham charged Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman with lying to the FBI in a September 2016 meeting. During that meeting, Sussman handed over data purporting to show links between the Trump organization and Russia's Alpha Bank. That tip became part of the FBI's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election, but the FBI ultimately couldn't find evidence of a link. In seeking additional documents from Sussman's former law firm, Perkins Coie, investigators from the special counsel's office appear to be sharpening their focus on the Democratic political machinery during the 2016 campaign and efforts to tie Trump to Russia. Perkins Coie's cli uh, clients in 2016 included the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee. The law firm also hired on the campaign's behalf a research company that commissioned the dossier from ex-British spy Christopher Steele that alleged that Trump was compromised by Russia. It's very interesting that they don't actually name Fusion GPS in this article. There has to be a reason for that. Why would a responsible news organization mention a research company and not name that research company. This is bad news writing and it is intentionally bad. While working for Perkins Coie, Sussman also represented Rodney Jaffe, a cybersecurity expert referred to in Durham's indictment as tech executive one in 2016 Jaffe, who has not been previously identified worked with researchers to collect internet data about the Trump organization that Sussman took to the FBI. Durham's continued use of the federal grand jury in Washington, D.C. signals that he could be interested in adding to Sussman's charges or bringing cases against additional defendants. Still, more than two years after being commissioned by the then Attorney General William Barr to investigate whether federal authorities improperly targeted the Trump campaign, Durham has little to show for his efforts. His special counsel probe, which has lasted longer than special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation, has so far brought only two lying charges against little known figures, including the case against Sussman, who has pleaded not guilty. Right. And as a CNN reader, you are supposed to understand this to mean that John Durham is on a wild goose chase because this is taking even longer to produce results than Mueller's case. And everybody knows 
that Robert Mueller was doing a real investigation into real collusion with Trump and Russia. Right. That is what we're supposed to take from this. They know their audience and who they're talking to. Robert Mueller is a very serious man who did a very serious investigation into a very serious issue. And he was not there to create premises for Donald Trump to be removed from office. He was not there to create the premises for an impeachment, for instance. And he was not there to cover up malfeasance in the FBI and the Democrat Communist Party. The results have underwhelmed Trump supporters who had hoped former top FBI and intelligence officials would be prosecuted for, quote, spying, end quote, on Trump and his campaign. Yes, Evan, sleep well. There's nothing to worry about here. Already, the scope of Durham's probe has narrowed after Barr announced last year that investigators had found no wrongdoing by the CIA. Yet Durham has continued his investigation largely in secrecy, working out of a nondescript office building near trendy Washington's Union Market. Ooh, very important information. Very important information. A nondescript office building near Washington's Union Market. Oh, it's trendy. Hey, Evan Perez, what's the name of the research company that you just talked about five paragraphs ago? Is that information more or less important than whether or not Washington's Union Market is trendy? And whether or not Durham's office building is nondescript. It's too bad that CNN doesn't actually address what these subpoenas are for. It's probably because they have no idea. Okay, so Evan Perez got some news that there were new subpoenas for documents from Perkins Coie. And that is the entirety of this story. Now, I don't mean that's the entirety of CNN's story. They go on to talk about other subjects. You're more than welcome to go check it out for yourself. But all the other news outlets who are reporting on this are just referencing CNN's story and have added no more detail, which means, as usual, there is no more detail to add because the John Durham investigation has not had leaks. OK, so there's never really good information to go on in terms of what the future is. It's cool to see that subpoenas are going out because that means that action is happening. Things might be on the way. This OIG report is also a very big deal. But again, this entire pillar is crumbling for them. And as always, the mainstream news is doing their best to make this stuff sound like it's no big deal because they don't want people's eyes on it. So let's go from the monster under the bed to the fantasy utopia where it's all gumdrops and unicorns and people of all skin colors and a variety of different genders having vegan orgies inside Lululemon. Okay. So the Senate just approved a funding extension that will prevent the government shutdown that was supposed to happen tonight. And so that story is developing. We'll see where that goes. This is from yesterday in USA Today. This is Bernie Sanders writing on behalf of the three and a half trillion dollar spending plan that they're pretending is for infrastructure, right? Bernie Sanders, the Democrat socialist who has been a communist for his entire life, since he was young, he has never held an actual job that wasn't the government paying him to advocate for communism. This is the only thing that he has ever done for his entire life. He now has money. He now has three houses because of a book deal, which has nothing to do with the fact that he decided to silence himself on election fraud because, like all communists, Bernie Sanders doesn't actually have principles. He seems like he's principled. That's his brand. Oh, Bernie Sanders cares so much about the little guy. Bernie Sanders cares about workers. Bernie Sanders cares that the rich are not doing their fair share. But now that he's rich, no big deal. Do people need to vote? No, 
Not if we're going to implement communism on their behalf. Anyhow, the only thing that voting could do is mess up our plans and then we can't help them. So Bernie Sanders just took it like a champ in 2016 and then again in 2020. He knows how he gets paid. He knows where the extra houses come from. Bernie Sanders, for America's sake, we can't afford to cut three and a half trillion dollar spending plan. We cannot afford to cut the three and a half trillion dollar spending plan. Now, maybe that's just because the three and a half trillion dollar spending plan actually costs zero dollars, as Joe Biden and Jen Psaki and Nancy Pelosi will all tell us it actually costs zero dollars. So maybe what Bernie's saying is it's literally impossible to cut from that. But let's see what the old communist has to say. We live in an unprecedented moment as our country faces enormous crises, including COVID-19, climate change, attacks on democracy, income and wealth inequality, and the multi-decade decline of the American middle class. And I'll, I'll stop reading like that. As chairman of the Senate Budget Committee, I proposed a $6 trillion reconciliation bill that would begin to address these long-neglected problems. A strong majority of the Democratic caucus supported that proposal, but not all, right? Bernie Sanders was given the chair of the Senate Budget Committee for dropping out of the 2020 race and giving it to Joe Biden. As a result, we made a major compromise to reduce that budget from $6 trillion to $3.5 trillion. Okay? That means Bernie Sanders has already done everybody a favor. So it's time for them to stop complaining. This entire package would not add to the deficit and would be paid for by, wait for it, demanding that the wealthiest people in our country and large profitable corporations start paying their fair share of taxes. Okay? So the three and a half trillion costs zero because it's paid for. And how is it paid for? Well, it's paid for on the basis of demanding. Okay? Now, they haven't put those demands into reality. They haven't put anything in place that will actually get that money. But they have said that they will demand it. Okay? So demanding the money is how we get the money. And getting the money is what makes this $3.5 trillion addition to the already near $30 trillion national debt. Not an addition to the already near $30 trillion national debt. You understand? So before this was going to be an addition to the debt, but now the plan is to demand more money by the wealthiest Americans paying their fair share, right? This actually, well, this sounds exactly like Bernie Sanders losing campaign speeches from the past. Will it work? Well, no, probably not. Has Bernie Sanders accomplished anything in 50 years? No, he hasn't. Bernie Sanders has never done anything. All he has ever done is gotten elected to political office by promoting communism and trying to build coalitions. But Bernie can just snap his fingers and get the wealthiest Americans to pay their fair share of taxes. Finally, after all these decades, now it's just going to be easy. It'll just happen automatically. Back to what Bernie Sanders is saying. Poll after poll, especially among working class people, shows overwhelming support for what we are trying to accomplish. And no, it doesn't. He links to a, a progressive polling group, a progressive think tank did a poll, and it shows that Bernie is right. Shocking. Now, for whatever reason, pundits say we should compromise even more and cut back on addressing the long-neglected problems facing working families, as well as climate change. Really? Please tell me where we should cut, as well as climate change. Oh, just that little thing. Man, I thought this was about uh, infrastructure. That's weird. Should we end the $300 direct payments to working class parents that have cut childhood poverty in our country by nearly half 
Does anyone believe that? $300 direct payments to working class parents have cut childhood poverty in half? Okay. Should we continue to ignore the dysfunctionality of our child care system that forces millions of working families to spend up to 35% of their limited incomes on child care and keeps more than a million women out of the workforce? What? What kind of child-brained understanding of economics could ever get you to believe that? Should we deny low and moderate income young people the opportunity to get the higher education and job skills they need by making community colleges tuition free? Should we continue allowing the pharmaceutical industry to charge us by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs, he asks, as his party promotes vaccines, saying that they are free? a direct giveaway to pharmaceutical companies. These people literally do the bidding of big pharma and we're going to trust them to lower pharmaceutical costs. Donald Trump did that already and they canceled it. Should we continue a situation where millions of seniors are unable to afford to go to a dentist to get treatment for their rotting teeth or buy the hearing aids and eyeglasses they need? Or should we expand Medicare to cover those basic health needs? Should we continue to be the only major country on earth not to guarantee paid family and medical leave? Should we, as an aging society, force older and disabled Americans into expensive nursing home care? Or should we expand home health care and allow them the opportunity to stay in their own homes? Should we have 600,000 homeless Americans or should we finally begin building the millions of units of low income and affordable housing that we need? Hey, Bernie, how does low income housing and affordable housing fix homelessness? Where has it worked? Has it ever worked? The more Democrat communists run urban environments, the more homeless we have, period, end of story. That is the only argument you need to know about the Democrats' treatment of the homeless issue. And then there is the existential threat of climate change. When the planet becomes warmer and warmer with unprecedented forest fires that they've caused, drought, floods, extreme weather disturbances, and acidification of the oceans that are causing mass destruction, and when scientists tell us that we have only a few years to avoid irreparable damage to our country and planet, should we really continue to ignore this global crisis? <laughs> this reconciliation bill is being opposed by every Republican in Congress, as well as the drug companies, the insurance companies, the fossil fuel industry, and the billionaire class. They want to maintain the status quo in which the rich get richer while ordinary Americans continue to struggle to make ends meet. Well, I disagree. Now is the time, finally, for Congress to stand up for working families and have the courage to take on the big money interest and wealthy campaign contributors who have so much power over the economic and political life of our country. That is just Bernie Sanders stump speech repackaged once again as an argument that somehow we need to spend three and a half trillion dollars. What? In the world, are we supposed to take from this? What should an adult think about being spoken to this way? This is only an emotional appeal. It says, if you don't do what I say, then you are directly responsible for these problems. He doesn't bother to show you how that's true. He doesn't bother to show you how this bill might fix those problems. He just says, that the bill will, and you are supposed to say, okay, you're the nice man. You're the caring man. You're the one who tells me about all these terrible issues that I alone can fix. And I don't want to be the person who's not interested in fixing these issues. So people go along with it and people accept this stuff and think it's okay. As these communists just drive us further further, further into debt that we can never emerge from. They are giving away the country. This is what they intend to do. 
and they tell people that they intend to do it. And people say, yeah, okay. Yeah, Donald Trump is so scary. I would rather have this. What a great point. And when you say, hey, this is too much money. Do you know what's in this bill? No, you don't. Why would anybody sign up for this? This is not what people voted for. And they say, well, yeah, but you know, Donald Trump, he's just so bad. And everybody's supposed to believe it because everybody's got a child's brain. And that's how we get to this point as a society. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting, or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Follow the podcast on the Telegram Messenger app at t.me slash I'm your moderator. You can join the discussion at t.me slash I'm reasonable. I'm also on Gab and Getter at I'm your moderator. The Substack is I'm your moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcouture.com. You can also go direct to that at shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. I'll see you next time out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!